We've had to rethink everything about how we do business. Automation will put 45 million people out of work. By We're already paying the price of ignoring climate change. Companies perform better with diverse boards. Change is coming. From Fortune Media, this is reInvent, a podcast about fighting to thrive in a world turned upside down. I'm Beth Coet, Fortune Senior Editor. And I'm Jeff Colvin, also a Fortune Senior Editor. Walgreens is transforming its pharmacies and retail stores into one-stop primary health care providers, with CEO Roz Brewer and her team planning to roll out 600 full-service clinics nationwide by 2025. What can we expect from these clinics? Why is Walgreens creating them? And can they compete with CVS, which has a similar plan? On this episode of reInvent, we'll answer those questions and raise a few more along the way. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Walgreens is doubling down on combining pharmacy and primary care services in-store, announcing a $5.2 billion deal in primary care provider Village MD that doubles its stake to more than 60%. Walmart launched its newest health clinic with a marching band and fanfare. The retailer is looking to change the game in retail health, offering more services at a lower cost than its rivals. CVS is now starting to use its merger with Aetna to try and change the definition of a drugstore. The company is turning some of its locations into what it now calls health hubs, offering more services and health-focused products. Jeff, it's interesting to note that there is an industry-wide trend of pharmacy and retail chains expanding into health services. Later in the episode, we'll hear from a public health expert who argues that there is an obvious need for these clinics. But I want to talk about what's in it for these companies and what's going on at Walgreens specifically? Well, Beth, to start with that, we really have to talk about the brief history of Walgreens because it is a very storied name in the United States. The company, strictly speaking now, is Walgreens Boots Alliance because it merged with Boots, the UK uh, pharmacy chain, about seven years ago. Boots is a 170-year-old company. Their first store opened in the UK in 1849. Walgreens opened its first pharmacy in Chicago in 1901. They have primarily been a pharmacy chain ever since. They've expanded into retail and dabbled in health services over the years, but this latest announcement is a big pivot for them. They are expanding to more than 600 stores, by 2025 that will have full-service health clinics. They have invested in Village MD, a company that is already in that business, have now doubled their investment, $5.2 billion they've put in to own 63% of the company. That was just in October of this year. And they say that 50% of these health clinics that they're going to be creating will be in medically underserved urban and rural areas. Okay, so Jeff, why are they making these big changes now? 
A few reasons that really forced them to do this or something like it. First of all, the stock has been declining for about the past five years. It's had ups and downs along the way, but it's well below where it was five years ago, while, of course, the overall market is well above where it was five years ago. In addition, their competitors are really taking significant action. CVS has more pharmacies, more stores than Walgreens has, and they're moving down this road themselves. And Walmart, uh, a huge force here, is doing something very similar. So Walgreens had to take some dramatic action, and that's what they're doing. You know, I think that we've seen some of these chains get a little bit of a reprieve during COVID when their businesses actually really benefited from both being vaccine distributors as well as COVID testing sites. But I think there's still this looming question of what does this look like when this business disappears for them or at least evaporates a little bit? Beth, a big part of all this is the new CEO of Walgreens, Roz Brewer, who just arrived earlier this year. And I know you've spoken with her previously. What did you learn? Yeah, so Roz Brewer joined the company from Starbucks, where she had been COO. And I spoke with her in September before this plan had really been announced. But she did kind of allude to the importance of this model a little bit, that Walgreens needs to be bigger and better than just dispensing pills. They want to help people maybe not be so dependent on medicine at all. And that's just another way for them to bring down costs in, in the healthcare system and obviously help their business too. You know, Ross has also been extremely focused on issues like vaccine equity, making sure that communities have access to the COVID vaccine as well as COVID testing. And it sounds like she really wants to continue to make this a focus going forward, too. Well, I'm watching this with great interest because I want to see if they can compete in this increasingly competitive segment and how they're going to do. What we really want to have impact is in the healthcare ecosystem. And this new Walgreens Health will make a difference and will begin to transform us away from retail and just dispensing pharmaceuticals. That's a clip of Roz Brewer in an interview with CNBC's Bertha Coombs in October. Jeff, Roz made this announcement after I interviewed her for my story, so I didn't really have a chance to ask her about the ins and outs of Walgreens Health Clinics. But I'm really curious about how they're going to get this done. Yeah, Beth. Uh, well, I had a conversation with Walgreens' Anita Alamond about those ins and outs. Anita's Walgreens' chief transformation and integration officer, which means she's responsible for leading Walgreens' reinvention. Anita's brand new to the company. Her first day was October 29th. She is a pharmacist by trade. And prior to joining Walgreens, she spent 16 years at CVS. I asked Anita what transformation she was brought in to oversee. The vision is we want to be the leading partner in local health care and well-being. So the goal is to leverage what we do so well today in pharmacy and to move that further into the continuum of value-based care. The pandemic highlighted and validated for us that the healthcare industry really needs to change and change quickly. And this is the time for us to reinvent and evolve our business model. Jeff, you mentioned earlier that Walgreens has made a significant investment in Village MD, over $5 billion. What is Village MD? That's an important question, Beth. Village MD is a network of primary care health clinics that currently operates over 200 clinics across the country. 
They're also a very profitable public company. They expect to pull in $1.3 billion in revenue this year. The idea is that Village MD clinics will co-locate with Walgreens pharmacies in one retail space. Here's Anita with more about that. So Village MD will now offer more than urgent and acute care, full-fledged, value-based primary care physicians across the entire portfolio of healthcare. So imagine, if you will, you now have pharmacists, physicians, and a multidisciplinary team all together under one roof, focused on taking care of the whole person needs of a patient. We today have uh, about 50 co-located locations. Our goal is to open about 80 by the end of this calendar year, and a goal of 1,000 by 2027 and half of those will be located in medically underserved communities. In addition to hiring new medical teams to staff these clinics, Walgreens plans to integrate their existing pharmacists into the clinics. In fact, Anita said a core tenet of the plan is to develop technologies that will free up pharmacists to do more than just fill prescriptions. I'll give you an example of some of the technology that's being deployed is called our micro-fulfillment centers. So the goal is to take some of the phone calls that come in daily to the pharmacies out into these more centralized areas. So the pharmacists actually have more face-to-face time. They're able to do if somebody is new to their therapy, actually take them through that new therapy, do more counseling, be able to do medication reconciliation and review of their medication. Jeff, I have to say that this transformation sounds expensive, but I have to imagine the delivery of COVID tests and vaccines actually made Walgreens some money, money that might help them execute the plan. Yeah, Beth, Walgreens hasn't directly said how they will pay for this plan, but you are right in your assumption that vaccine administration was very lucrative. Walgreens has vaccinated over 30 million people to date. I asked Brian Tankillet, who is the healthcare services analyst at Jefferies, just how profitable vaccine delivery was for pharmacy chains like Walgreens and CVS, and he gave me an answer about the industry as a whole. We're looking at a gross margin per shot between $13 and $15. Part of it, too, is the traffic that it brings to the store, right? So if I'm going to get my vaccination at a CVS or a Walgreens, for that matter, they make you wait 20 minutes after your shot before you can leave the store, or at least that's the recommendation, right? So what are you doing in those 20 minutes? You're walking around the store, you're buying, I don't know, Reese's cups and toothbrushes and gum and whatever else, right? So... So there's incremental purchases that generally have been associated with this. Both Walgreens and CVS have disclosed recently how they've picked up market share from vaccinations. When Brian says gross margin per shot of $13 to $15, what that is is the $40 per shot that they get from the government for administering the shot, minus the time of the pharmacist who has to administer it. Uh, Vaccine delivery and COVID testing also allowed Walgreens to gather an immense amount of data about who was visiting their stores, in addition to the data they've been collecting at their pharmacies for quite a long time now. I asked Anita if that data will be valuable to Walgreens as they build out their health clinics. 
Absolutely. And I would say data around the health of a consumer, data around their needs, uh, how they navigate, experience us, uh, where we think healthcare costs are, how we think we can impact healthcare costs. We also have data around consumer preferences. We have data on how they're navigating our channels, whether it's our digital channels. So all of those are data sources within the organization that, again, within the constraints of how we can use healthcare data, we're able to leverage it and to add tools and insights on top of it. So Jeff, they have all this data that they think will help inform them about what their customers actually need. But what's that experience going to look like for the customer? Well, that is a big question, Beth. I asked Anita to describe what one of these Walgreens clinics would be like at its best from a patient's perspective. Our goal in this transformation is to have an open connected health experience that's very personalized. So imagine if you could, we offer services across the care continuum. So you can go on your digital channels, you can find the right doctor, you can actually schedule the appointment. You have information to manage your chronic conditions if you have it. You can access your insurance records. You can view your health records. You can access a whole variety of wellness services if you're interested in smoking cessation, weight loss. Uh, You can set up health devices like blood glucose monitors. That data points can come into your electronic health records. Your providers can have access to it. things that we're doing is we're really pivoting uh, the company. When the company came, CVS acquired Aetna, the real purpose of that was to be in the communities and to really change the way that healthcare was delivered. And then virtual digital. People can access health in a variety of ways, and our strategy is really about meeting consumers where they are in their healthcare journey. And as you think about CVS Health, when people think about their health, they first think about how am I going to pay for that? Well, we have the opportunity to help you with their financing through our insurance products. Then you think about where do I get my health care? Well, we have the opportunity to get your health care through our local minute clinics or health hubs, through our home infusion services and other um, community assets. That is the CEO of CVS, Karen Lynch, at Fortune's Most Powerful Women's Summit in October. I was there and actually happened to catch the session. And I have to say, it sounds pretty darn similar to the Walgreens plan in many ways, though they have what is potentially the important advantage of also owning insurance giant Aetna. Tell me a little bit, Jeff, about what this announcement means for Walgreens. Well, it means that they have some very stiff competition. CVS is a bigger chain and it's part of a much bigger company. Very few people realize how big CVS is. On the Fortune 500, CVS is number four. It is one of the largest companies by revenue in America because they have their big pharmacy business, the retail business most people are familiar with. They own the Aetna Insurance Company. They own a pharmacy benefit manager, a type of company that consumers don't come into contact with directly, but it's very important and it's very big. So I have to imagine that CVS and other major competitors like Walmart rolling out full-service health clinics, 
That has got to be an important factor for Walgreens. I asked Anita what she thought Walgreens' competitive advantage is. We believe and we've seen it, we've heard it during the pandemic, our brand, our frontline service, our scale, uh, the, the brand for over 100 years. We believe that is a very strategic differentiator. Second, I would believe is also our neutrality. We are not owned by a payer. We really are in the goal of servicing the consumer and the patient and the partnerships we have in the industry. Now, when Anita said uh, our neutrality is an advantage, we are not owned by a payer, by a payer, she means an insurer because CVS is part of the same company with the Aetna Insurance Company. And the thought there is, well, maybe CVS will be doing things that are good for its larger company, including Aetna, rather than just what's good for the consumer. Uh, and so the, the point Anita's trying to make when she says we're neutral is that we're not trying to favor anybody else other than our consumer. It's not clear how much of a competitive advantage that might really be. Brian Tankillet of Jeffries notes that Walgreens stock is not performing at the same level as CVS. In fact, over the past five years, overall, Walgreens stock has been going down over that same period, CVS stock has been going up. And in fact, over the past several months, it has been going up like a rocket. Jeff, what does Brian think Walgreens would have to do to stay competitive? Well, Brian seems to think it's all about getting people into Walgreens stores and convincing them to come back. I think that introducing a healthcare angle to it is a way to drive store traffic and convert, you know, unprofitable or barely profitable square footage into something that is more strategic. So they're hoping that some of their existing Walgreens clients will use the clinics, and that makes them even more loyal to the store. But on the flip side, they're hoping to attract new people that are looking for a physician. It's not that easy to find a primary care physician. So if I know that Village MD is inside a Walgreens store, I can sign up and go to a Village MD. And from there, if they write a prescription for me, after my visit, I probably will get it from that Walgreens location. And then they, they consider me a new patient. And then before you know it, I'm a loyal customer of that specific store. And what did Brian have to say about their massive investment in Village MD? $5.2 billion is certainly no small sum. No, it's not. And Brian thinks it is a risky move, but a strategic one. You know, they're paying a pretty hefty multiple for Village MD. And by our math, it comes out to about eight times revenues is what they're paying for Village MD. Now, if you look at comparable companies in the public space, none of them are trading anywhere close to that right now. So people are looking at that saying, okay, did you overpay for Village MD? You know, I think their justification would be this is not a financial move. Because on the surface, I mean, it looks dilutive, but if it really helps keep your relevance in the healthcare world and it helps you know, keep you, I don't want to say save the business, but it, if it helps you protect your business, then maybe it's a necessary strategic move, right? And, and I think that's what it is. But again, it comes with a pretty hefty cost. Brian is optimistic that the Village MD investment will eventually pay off, mostly because they provide value-based care. I asked Brian how he defines value-based care and how it might help Walgreens turn a profit. If you think about the U.S. healthcare system, we are running primarily in what we call a fee-for-service system. Every time you go to your doctor or you go to a lab or you go to a pharmacy, there's a payment being made, right? So the more 
visits you have to a doctor, the more money that doctor makes. Or the more lab tests you do, the more money Quest or LabCorp make off of you. So under a value-based method, it is basically saying, I'm going to pay a set amount per person per month or per year, whatever that time period is. And you as a provider, in this case, Village MD, will figure out how to spend those dollars. And if there's dollars left after you spend on hospitalizations, on drugs, on lab testing, on physician office visits, if there's money left, it's, it's yours. So that's how Village MD will make money. And Brian thinks that Walgreens investment in a value-based care provider will ultimately make them more attractive to investors. You know, I, I am very bullish on the idea of value-based care. I think that that is the future of healthcare payment and delivery in the U.S. And obviously, Village MD is one of the largest player in value-based primary care. So I like that idea. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, Jeff, it seems like Walgreens has a plan to build out their health clinics, and Brian thinks that their investment in Village MD will give them a chance to compete with CVS. But stepping back, I'm curious what this means for the people these clinics will actually serve. What would it mean for Americans if Walgreens was able to deliver on this commitment? Well, that's a great question, Beth. Ultimately, these clinics are only useful if they provide accessible and affordable health care to people who need it. I followed up with Anita about Walgreens' promise that 50% of their clinics will be in underserved areas of the country. And you mentioned earlier that as you roll out these stores or transform these stores, 50% will be in underserved areas. What does that mean? They are geographies where if you look at from a presence of either pharmacies and clinics, there, there definitely are inequities in, in healthcare access. So those are the locations that for the, for at least 50% of the rollout we are focusing on. And at the end of the day, it's about flexibility and choice. And we believe this does both of that. It gives you the choice and it gives you access in areas where you may not always have it. I also wanted to zoom out, Beth, and get a better look at the American healthcare system puzzle that the Walgreens clinics will be a piece of. I spoke with Dr. Deidre Candace Cruz, professor of medicine, deputy director of Johns Hopkins Center for Health Equity. To start, Dr. Cruz gave an overview of the chronic health disparities present in the U.S. that the Walgreens clinics have the potential to address. So I'm not sure how much time we have, but um, disparities in health and in sort of health promoting goods and services are profound in the United States. When I think of medically underserved um, communities, so those are going to be communities where either they have limited access to actually any healthcare services. So there's no nearby hospital. There's no nearby primary care clinics. Um, there's also no nearby pharmacies. Uh, there are pharmacy deserts in the U.S. as well. 
But then also medically underserved communities also include those where there's limited access to high quality uh, healthcare services, which we know that for a number of populations where they are largely inhabited by people of color or low income individuals, people living in rural communities as well. Dr. Cruz also detailed what type of care underserved communities are most in need of. They are most in need of preventive care, I think is the first place. We as a country have underinvested in preventive services. We tend to invest more in tertiary care. So people who've had multiple health conditions and are, in many cases, at the end of their lives, that's where we spend most of our health care expenditures, as opposed to on the front end, uh, making sure that people have access to those things that are actually going to promote their health and keep them from getting sick in the first place. The things that I'm thinking about are early screening for conditions such as hypertension, uh, early screening for diabetes, those conditions that we know if we can detect detect them before they even reach the level of diagnostic criteria that would tell us this person now carries a diagnosis of these, that we can actually prevent a lot of the downstream consequences of those health conditions. It's both logical and extremely upsetting that lacking access to preventative care early in life will lead to more dire health issues later on. But Jeff, more specifically, what consequences does that lack of preventative care have on individuals and communities? And what does it cost Americans financially? Well, upsetting is the right word here, Beth. Uh, Here's Dr. Cruz detailing those consequences. When we lose people out of our sort of body of healthy people that we have, certainly that means that they're out of the workforce. That means that they're also out of other ways that that people engage in our society in meaningful ways. And so I think those are some of the issues as, as well as it drives up costs. So when we are primarily focused upon uh, people at the end stages of these types of chronic health conditions, as a society, we end up having to really expend more costs than we would if we had invested earlier in that disease course, really at, at first even detecting that they're at risk of developing these conditions. There has been estimates that as much as $30 billion a year are actually spent by our nation as a consequence of health inequities. Okay, so that is not a small number. Knowing that it seems urgent to build accessible and affordable healthcare clinics with preventative care services like the ones that Walgreens is actually proposing. Yeah, it is urgent, Beth. Roz Brewer and Anita both stressed that they hope their clinics will serve as neighborhood centers that are pillars of the community. Dr. Cruz described what a neighborhood health care model has the potential to overcome. In the setting of the pandemic, as well as in the setting of the high-profile acts of racism that, that we have, have witnessed over the past year, year and a half, there really has been an erosion of trust in institutions, um, including, unfortunately, the healthcare um, institutions or the healthcare system. And a neighborhood uh, kind of a model really helps to overcome a lot of that in that a relationship that would ideally be built over time should actually help to mitigate those sort of issues around trust. Does Dr. Cruz think that a company like Walgreens could build this trust and as a result make communities healthier, both physically as well as financially? Well, I wanted to know that same thing, Beth, and how specifically Dr. Cruz thought Walgreens could do it. I think they would have to kind of start locally, really building relationships with trusted agents there in in those communities, people that could then 
spread the word, if you will, around like the services that were being offered there at Walgreens and get them in front of key audiences to kind of help with this trust building that's going to be, I think, really critical to really kind of lead to a a mind uh, frame shift for individuals who I think largely think of a place like Walgreens as a place that you go and fill your prescription. Maybe you pick up a pack of gum or, you know, something like that while you're there. Dr. Cruz also noted that beyond trust building, Walgreens would have to use partnerships with insurance companies to make their clinics financially sustainable. I think financially, I would have concerns about how their model would be sustainable because um, my sense would be that it would require investment from payers, maybe policymakers um, as well, understanding that people who have the resources to do so may choose to receive this type of care elsewhere. And those are very frequently people who are also privately insured and that um, for a number of different models of care tends to be the way that those practices stay afloat financially is through the reimbursement from those private insurers. And so I think uh, if possible, partnering with those types of insurers in addition to um, public payers, um, I think uh, might be able to facilitate the model being sustainable. So listening to Dr. Cruz there, it's just such an important reminder about how the pandemic highlighted all these healthcare inequities that we've always known existed, but have really failed to address. And I wonder if this is a moment and a real opportunity for some of these big companies to finally do something about it. I mean, is this an opening for Walgreens in some ways, Jeff? It seems like a potential opening to me because there clearly is an opportunity there. The challenge is, of course, finding a way to serve those underserved communities in a way that is actually effective and that will enable Walgreens to keep doing it, which is a way of saying that they can make money with. So what sets them apart, right? We've heard about a lot of different models here throughout this episode. I mean, what's for Walgreens the thing that makes them different from CVS, from Walmart? How can they really compete? I think there is certainly room for two or three or four players in this industry uh, as it expands. And it makes perfect sense to think that Walgreens might be one of them. Their advantage primarily, I would say, is all the locations they have and the fact that their brand is so well known in the United States. At the same time, they are going to be up against very tough competition. So how they differentiate themselves is going to be key. And to me, it's not yet clear how they're going to do that. So I've just been so struck listening to this about how complicated our healthcare system is, right? This is a real reminder that there's just so many players involved, so many people that have to get paid, and how complicated it is for the consumer. Is this a step in the right direction? Can we simplify things to make things easier for the American consumer? I think people in the industry may sometimes be out of touch with how the U.S. medical system looks to the average consumer, the average patient. It is incomprehensible to the vast majority of ordinary consumers in the United States. And any business that can simplify that, make it easy, make it comprehensible and and apparently logical, it would be a big achievement if they can do it. And I think there's a huge opportunity for them there. 
This episode was produced by Alexis Haught and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Reinvent is a production of Fortune Media. Fortune Media.